welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me is the 1999 version of Pete. Is your dial-up internet working, Pete? Hey, um, fly good? Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 411, Rosetta, comes to you now via Qualian Night Spray. Matt, coming to you here from 1999, but through a stable wormhole, able to watch this Star Trek Discovery show, that there's also a Star Trek Picard show that we'll podcast about tomorrow and and really dig into all the uh, you know, Star Trek that Sir Patrick Stewart's done over the 23 years distance between the two of us. But uh, from what you've told me, these 23 years, this is the first time there's two live action Star Trek TV shows running concurrently for the first time since my time in 1999 right now. That is completely correct, Pete. And in accordance with the Department of Temporal Investigations. I can't say too much, but believe me, Pete, as I sit here right now, things are going really great. We got two Star Treks on at the same time. Everything else in the world is just falling into place in our future paradise. It's all going to be great. So for these next three weeks, we are podcasting like it is 1999, my time, uh, in which uh, we're going to be bringing you a Star Trek Discovery Uh, Every Saturday, a Star Trek Picard every Sunday. I'm super hopeful later in the year, Matt, we'll be doing the Star Trek Riker and the Star Trek Troy and the Star Trek Crusher and the Star Trek Bashir and all those other independent character shows. Pete, you have uh, some interesting twists and turns ahead of you in Star Trek. Star Trek in uh, the year 2000 in what you may come to call the aughts as a decade. Uh, let's just say the amount of Star Trek is going to be uh, different from what you've experienced there in the 1990s. Well, with Picard tomorrow, Matt, um, they're days away from wrapping Star Trek Picard season three. Uh, and, you know, having seen the first episode and a uh, interview and exclusive with uh trekmovie.com on your internets um, explaining that they're finishing up and uh, how different each of the three seasons is going to be Um, but wondering if there may not be more not with Sir Patrick Stewart who I understand is 82 years old in the future but a lot of the other characters Certainly lots of possibility in the air. Pete, it, we are in now in 2022. It is a new platinum age for Star Trek production. I know back there in 1999, you got your Next Generation movies, your Deep Space Nine, your Voyager, uh, other shows ahead of you in the timeline and so forth. Um, we are maybe, in some sense, in certain senses, we are surpassing that now in 2022 and beyond. But for now, Pete, let's head into the mission at hand and talk about this mission briefing. In her quarters, as Grudge has the bed all to herself, uh, 
Captain Michael Burnham records a captain's log for stardate 865783.7 that there are less than 29 hours before United Earth and Navarre get hit by debris from the DMA affecting billions. Over a montage of discovery warping, examining the hyperfield in an away mission suit, and arriving at a dead gas giant planet killed by massive asteroids, she laments that as a xenoanthropologist, she's never had less to work with as she struggles to get them in front of species 10C and communicate them. The planet's star is surrounded by Dyson rings made from the same rare material as the DMA controller, and her gut tells her that there has to be a connection, that the planet must have been 10C's home. Pete, this scene all about setting the proper orientation for the episode. We got the story clock, 29 hours. We got the who, the 10C, the where are they, the hyperfield, the problem. No one knows how to get into it. Uh, and then, of course, as you uh, as you recapped there, some of the particulars along the way to make that happen. All of this an effort to learn about the 10C, to get cultural context, and thus to be able to communicate with them. With that, we cut to the Black Away Mission uh, outfit hero walk. Hot damn, Pete. Everybody looking good there. Um, it is said by Burnham that we have to be right. Uh, meanwhile, the story shifts to Tarka and Book on Book's ship. They are scanning uh, yet again. The DMA is definitely powered from the hyperfield. We get recapped. Tarka's plan is to get in and shut it all down. Uh, it is suggested that they creep in behind Discovery. Tarka has an even better plan. Let's hitch a ride on Discovery. Uh, perhaps like a parasite Although Book makes reference to a Quajon creature, which was kind of like a parasite, except it wasn't taking stuff, which is kind of sort of a distinction without a difference, given that the point is they're going to attach to Discovery to sneak and deke later on in the episode. Uh, how will they be able to attach on there? Tarka is going to create a patch that will numb Discovery's sensors. Yes, Zora will find it eventually, uh, but perhaps uh, not soon enough. Not too soon. Uh, and the catch is that the patch must be installed manually, uh, which is not something that Tarka wants to do, but it needs to be done. Pete, we have dueling story purposes here in the first two scenes. Are we all clear on who's headed where to do what and why? They're going to the engineering section, which is the only place on Discovery it can be installed. Book wants to go with him, but Tarka says he'll move faster on his own. And then there's a question of what if Book sees Burnham, but they are going together. End of story. And now we're in Discovery's shuttle bay as the departing quartet is met by President Rillick, who didn't agree to sending the ship's captain and first officer, also a captain, Saru, on the planetary survey, but Burnham tells her that Commander Nilsson has the con and they're in good hands. Burnham adds that Saru can speak over 100 languages and his senses dwarf theirs, necessary to understand for the story yet to come. The uh, task force is assembled to see them off, and which is, say, Pete, 
task force coincidentally including uh, a bunch of uh, interesting recurring characters uh president tarina uh hopes that answers are found well and quickly dr harai notes that they should act fast and basically not screw up general indoye asks uh that de- uh, direct communication with the 10c be undertaken right away she's not a fan of this particular cultural context side mission uh, Pete, I doubt, I have no doubt, rather, that if General Ndoye watched uh, The Mandalorian, she would say, why isn't he going to the season finale in episode two? What's with all these side quests? Um, but of course, Pete, the difference here is General Ndoye is concerned about the safety of uh, Earth primarily, of course, the the uh, threat now, Earth and Navarre and Titan and all of that. Burnham restates that they might be able to actually speed things up by searching this planet, again, finding a way to communicate context and so forth yes it is a might um but to negotiate you need to know who is on the other side uh burnham promises to find something pete it's a promise uh they get ready to head out by beaming into the shuttle then the shuttle takes off which is a cool way to really make sure the story's zipping along here never seen a shuttle already floating airborne and them do that so that was a unique presentation there to take us into the title card pete i know you are uh podcasting from the year 1999 lots of things is that how they do it now well not quite but but let me tell you this you you know that cordless telephone that you hang up in your kitchen what if you didn't need to hang it up in the kitchen so it just floats uh we're working on it uh the credits as you we still have credits uh the credits uh, include blue del barrio uh and uh, a bit of a weird retroactive spoiler uh tegnataro i mentioned spoiler because i did not watch the credits so i was uh delighted when i saw tegnataro a little bit later on i was glad to have not known that she would show up because she is of course always a welcome presence the episode written by Terry Hughes Burton and directed by the team of Jeff Bird and Jen McGowan. Detmer pilots Disco 09 around debris and lets Discovery know they're about to enter the ionosphere and lose comms. They deploy protective shielding as Culver expresses gratitude. The laws of physics still apply outside of their galaxy. Saru scans impact craters that suggest they were created approximately a thousand years ago, um, around the time the hyperfield was constructed. And Culber says that that makes sense that 10C would have known about what was coming and evacuated. Burnham points to a hollow scan of a collapsed building, and Saru cannot think of materials that could stand the extreme pressures at the core of a gas giant. And it seems impossible for biological entities as well. Burnham says the 10 C must have lived in the gas layers, but how asks Detmer. Kolber points to one structure that still looks intact. Saru says it may have been reinforced. Uh, they ultimately are going to head to that structure. The the uh, camera cuts to them doing just that. Uh, they cloak the shuttle, uh, and in this moment, it's an, uh, another reminder that the the spacesuits, the away mission uh, outfits, now covered by extra protective layers and so forth, they look amazing. Uh, there are no life signs. Repeat, no life signs. Severu highlighting that that includes. 
uh, no life signs of the Starfleet officers. No, no, Pete. It's not like that 1999 movie. I won't tell you. Which I was one. just going to say, I saw this movie not long ago. Uh, the Sixth Sense. Uh, it, it's not a case of that. It's not a case of the Sixth Sense. And good news, Pete. Uh, big things ahead for the director of that movie. He's going to be nominated for Best Director. Um for that movie and you can keep an eye on his career from there he may have peaked uh pete back to this story let's set phasers to stun but wait pete what's next it's interesting that their phasers are drawn at the beginning of this scene i get it the 10c are considered a threat although they're there to make first contact and yes we're told that their phasers are on stun but ordinarily right like you draw when you saw something instead of immediately assuming you need to have phasers on stun. Pete, that is because, uh, as some people would tell you, uh, the co-creator of Felicity is in charge of everything and makes everybody shoot phasers. Now that that's not true. That's just what some people in the 2022 will tell you. So keep an eye on Felicity for a whole lot of, a whole lot of stuff that's ahead of you there in 1999. Um, but again, back to this episode, Saru hears whooshing and chittering, uh, then senses an attack. Um, but he's actually just kind of emotionally feeling it. There, there's not an attack at hand. He is overwhelmed and disoriented. Uh, he claims that perhaps it was caused by a glint of light coming off of, of, of that thing. Culber IDs that thing as a large bone, rather, rather spongy in nature. Story returns to Book's ship, where Tarka is ready to sneak onto Discovery with Book. Uh, they put on biosign blockers, and Book reflects on returning to Discovery to family. Uh, they get ready to beam in, and uh, Book suggests that Tarka duck low. Uh, he has not ducked quite enough. He bunks his head, for they are in a Jeffrey's tube. It is humor in our Star Trek, uh, and they start to crawl along in the Jeffrey's tube heading towards engineering there back on the surface Culver says the bone structure of unusually low density here before it was fossilized would have been flexible like cartilage um, that would have made it physiologically perfect for floating in gas layers Detmer asks what they think the glittering blue green dust is that we got a really good shot against the orange soil there in the previous scene. Culper says it's not soil, but some kind of complex hydrocarbon compound that is not in Federation databases. Matt, you've sent me some uh, internet stuff from the future of people complaining about this episode that they're environmental suits let things in even though it's repeatedly hammered in this story that uh it's not in their databases hence how could they know to filter it out pete lots of debate in this time about when things should be filtered out and how they should be filtered out and so forth so i think i think if nothing else the internet debate about this fake show perhaps representing some real life discussion about you know hashtag my uh my away team mask and so forth uh burn what's that pound sign in a pound sign indeed uh burnham has more uh there's evidence that they are at a mass grave 
uh, evidence that uh, though there was a full planet evacuation on, they did not complete the full evacuation. Uh, Burnham says that they need to get into that building over there. Uh, they continue, uh, the story continues with Burnham kind of checking in one-on-one -on -one with Saru, who feels two things, Pete. First is that there's an act break coming up, uh, <laughs> and also he feels the coming of death. Bum, 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 cut to black. And if you're on the commercial plan for the show, time for some commercials. In the lounge, Harai works on an ancient Earth hollow crossword puzzle that Dr. Kovich introduced him to. And snacks, as is the character's habit, when Rillick finds him, he needs an act which a person is bound to complete in 10 words, with the fifth letter being G. But Rillick wants to talk mission and his bedside manner. The bluntness with which he spoke to Burnham was not appropriate, and it affected Ndoye. She needs help with the delegates, and he's not sure how he can help she admires his commitment to the long view her focus though is on supporting those struggling now she wants him to exercise more tact and she fills in the word on the puzzle starting with his return to first contact in 10 minutes obligation what a great little scene this is because we learn Certainly things about Dr. Harai, who is uh, new only in the second episode here. Um, and, you know, Rilak, I think, appropriately chiding him and appropriately leading him. It's maybe a smidge writerly that the word uh, that he is missing is also the point that he needs uh, brought to his attention, that of obligation, i.e. obligation to others. But it, it just really, really works. Um, we stay on Discovery as Book and Tarka are, are sneaking along. They sneak a peek at Ndoye and uh, Tarina in the mess hall. How can Tarina be so calm? She says that she will rely on her vice president to evacuate at highest efficiency. Uh, Ndoye is ready to go to war with the 10C to seize opportunities by making them happen. Pete, I know Tarina is reflecting our best Star Trek values, but on the topic of kind of the prior scene where Dr. Harai isn't necessarily wrong in general. He's just wrong for this situation. Similarly, I think that, you know, it's difficult to argue with Ndoye that you must seize opportunities by making them happen. It's just not, it's not the Star Trek lesson here today. Right. That she wants to meet with 10C now. They could have gone directly to the hyperfield. Um, she leaves the discussion and Book and Tarka note how tense it was, and they continue another way to engineering. Pete, it's kind of like they're they're Christmas caroling their way through. I, I mean, I mean, as in the story, not that they're going from door to door singing. Like they're kind of peering and learning things and saying, "Oh, oh, for, for there is one empty seat at the table," and, and things of that sort. Um, on the planet, the uh, EV suits look fantastic, all lit up. Uh, Pete, perhaps it reminds you of that movie from 15 years ago or so, The Tron. Um, details in the building are kind of a bit hidden by shadow for my tastes. Maybe that's kind of belying, you know, that this is a big effects-driven scene. Uh, Burnham notes to Culver that the fear response uh, in Saru should be gone post-Vaharai. 
Uh, Culver is going to give him a little checkup, uh, and we see that Saru is still freaking out big time, Pete. This is a heck of a set, Matt, they built of this uh, structure on the surface with its desiccated jellyfish-like remains floating. I mean, you all have some tremendous uh, craftspeople in the future to make a set this massive. Pete, listen, I'll let you in on a little secret. What they did is they got lots and lots of people who put jellyfish on on uh, fishing wire and were above the uh, above the sound stage and kind of waved them by. It's really the only way to do special effects here in the future. Uh, Culver says that Saru's cortisol and adrenaline levels are dangerously elevated here. Uh, Burnham tasks him with stabilizing Saru as she continues with Detmer. Uh, Burnham says it could have been a meeting space or a worship area, maybe even an arena. Community structures are common in cultures and they need to find something to tell them what it was. Saru says something is causing him to feel the way he is. That this is not coming from him. Culver says the EV suits protect them from external elements and grab Saru's arm when he begins to experience the same thing. On Discovery, Book and Tarka are now on an empty deck. Uh, they're right by engineering, but Book would like to reach out to Indoye to get her uh, help with the situation. She is, he thinks, hashtag team book Tarka, uh, and she will back them up. So the boys split up here with Book uh, needing to be convincing. Book uh, sends a fake text message to Endoye pretending to be Tarina. I think that's called spoofing, uh, at least nowadays, slash back in 1999. Um, back to the planet, Detmer has found no cultural relics anywhere. Uh, she wonders if perhaps she should take Saru back to the shuttle. Burnham waves this off. We need this trip to count. Uh, then all of a sudden it's Burnham who is hallucinating. Colber uh, rolls up on this. It's happening to all of us. The same visions of fear and physiological response. One, two, three. Wait a minute. Except for Detmer. Um, it's not happening to Detmer. Uh, they rule out sources such as psionic energy or ultrasounds. There's no magnetic nor electrical sources. Again, Detmer is free of these uh, these reactions here. Burnham says that they're going to take five minutes to retrace their steps. If they can't find a source, Detmer will go back to Discovery alone, which, uh, look, here we are. It's, we're not at the end of the season. I don't think that we're killing off these major characters and so forth, but it is kind of a good in-episode threat. Like, Detmer will leave the rest of us here to be crazy for all our days or, or something like that. Uh, Pete, take us back to Tarka. Tarka spies on Reno and Adira uh, as they're working in a corridor here. Uh, Reno replicating a Ractagino, which got her through uh, her time on the Hiawatha during the Klingon War there. Matt, it's good to know that uh, as Deep Space Nine is, is wrapping up, that uh, Star Trek will be full of rock to Gino references for the next 23 years uh, absolutely and, and now that you know about the klingon war i guess i could say good news pete despite uh in the world of 1999 those age-old bad guys are going to hang around because those fiction writers can't think anything uh, can't think of anything better than just to dust off cold war era baddies and make them be baddies again 
Um, but yes, lots of rock to Gino uh, in our future. Uh, it's called the bitter elixir of Klingon warriors, which is a great line. Uh, Adira is lost in thought, thinking of Detmer, reflecting on Detmer's confidence and strength. Uh, Reno reminds Adira that Detmer uh, was not in great shape after the trip from the past through the wormhole, uh, but she bellied up to the bar and admitted her shortcomings. Reno suggested Adira talk to Detmer to get to know her, meet your heroes, and you'll figure it out. Uh, with that, Pete, <laughs> the ghost of Christmas present, uh, Tarka is done watching, and uh, he, he sees that there's something on the desk. Eyes that replicator there that he'll make use of shortly for the diversion. Back on the surface, Colber says Saru was touching his uh, arm before he began to experience the hallucinations, but neither of them were touching Burnham. Saru was outside when he experienced them and they were inside. Burnham wonders if the suits are malfunctioning. Um, but uh, there should be no reason that Detmer is fine. Burnham uh, wonders if it was the dust, and then Saru reflects that he stepped in a patch before he began to hallucinate. Colbert knelt in it to treat Saru, and Burnham had touched it when she was examining the uh, structure. Detmer is the only one who's not come in direct contact with it. And Burnham says that these hydrocarbons were not in the Federation database. So we're getting it mentioned a second time, Matt. So it is proofed in the story. Uh, so the suits would not know how to block them. So Detmer says the unknown substance could get through if its structure was different enough and that they need to recalibrate the programmable matter filtering system to stop it. Burnham is sure glad she paid attention in those EV trainings and Saru's respiration is still elevated because he had forgotten the sensation of fear. Brought back a lot of unpleasant memories there. He was also impressed how Detmer remained calm. And she says that PTSD therapy came in handy. Plus, when she grew up, she was kind of the queen of putting things in boxes. Uh, with that, Burnham has found something, something left by the 10C. They're going to find out what, but not right now, because we go back to Discovery uh, and Reno, who's being asked for help from Linus. Linus has uh, one, no two, no multiple malfunctioning replicators. Uh, going on throughout the ship talked of steamed bananas coming out um, as there's this synthetic uh, problem here Pete just that look I enjoy I enjoy a nice room temperature banana okay I've had bananas foster made table side with the the flashing of flame and so forth so I guess I like I like a you know a, a hot banana in a dessert context just the notion of steamed bananas pouring out almost like waste from a replicator it, it's such a good mental image. I'm glad they didn't film it because I just imagine the sort of banana-y, you know, sausage links, fecal, all just kind of happening. It's 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 really, I'm not saying it is a joke, although I think it is kind of a funny mental image. It really is just a great bit of writing to imagine the worst case scenario of the replicator messing up as it kind of poops bananas out onto the floor. 
in the future, your household replicators, I, I hope they don't uh, go on the fritz and, and do that, Matt. Um, but Reno points out the real danger that if they lose replicators all the way out here, they will starve to death. So no pressure. They leave to go fix it, and Tarka is free to come down the ladder there into engineering to do what dastardly deed he will. Meanwhile, Pete, we go back to this to this darkened deck. Ndoye is there looking for her prospective meeting with Tarina. However, it's Book who suddenly appears. Uh, he, of course, wants to meet with her. Pete, let's reflect, though, on a moment on this notion of the unused deck being uh underlit but with whooshing lights that go by which was a choice it was it was an interesting choice maybe like they're sending power elsewhere and it's you know a place where they can meet and it's quiet but it i think it drew the the questions out more than anything else a suspicious place and you enter a deck, uh, person I'm meeting, are you here? Are you here? I mean, kind of goofy. I know that Ndoye has nothing to worry about because she's General Ndoye. Plus she has her knife, which is at the ready once Book appears. He says he wants two minutes to talk. Uh, he has lost his home and he wants to protect hers. Again, Pete, really tidy writing here. I know both of those wants are true. Uh, I think it's possible that in a version of this script, it would have been possible to lose sight of the fact that Book's number one motivation is driven by the loss of his planet, and Doye's number one motivation now is to protect hers. It's just a great use to say, don't knife me, despite the fact I'm Galaxy's Most Wanted, we have the same the, the same desire right now. Uh, and indeed, they uh, Book proposes they can work together and end the DMA for good. He knows that Michael will get the information that she needs from the planet. Uh, and when they go into the hyperfield, uh, there will be the opportunity for Book and Tarka to shut the DMA down. So how will Ndoye help? Which is also a good question because I'm watching this saying, I have no beef with Ndoye. I don't necessarily want her on the wrong side of history here. She's just going to keep in touch to send information. Uh, and Ndoye, in fact, kind of doubles down, I would say, on the, the, the good character factor in terms of uh, her saying that she will treat his plan as the backup because we must let diplomacy work. And the standing down that uh, Book and Tarka will do, although I suspect Tarka won't, if the 10C capitulates to diplomacy. So he gives Endoye um, his word, she extends hands to shake on it and uh i'm sure it's all going to go exactly according to plan back on the planet burnham notes that all the hallucinations were the same perhaps it is a where a uh, way to share information saru uh indeed has found very different hydrocarbons which is odd to him also colber has found more dna but it belongs to infants that contextualizes this place pete this giant sound stage where they have built things in the computer uh they're in a, a nursery a protective area so therefore this is a culture that protects children and honors life burnham asks uh for all their bioscience to be monitored and she turns off uh her filters 
Uh, she lets the hydrocarbons in. Uh, with that, she senses unseen things. It feels to her like love. The others let it in, feeling peace and safety. Detmer has just felt felt her father. He had not been well in the past. There was a disconnect between him and reality. Uh, a lovely and expedient way to start to share that information. I know we get more of it uh, as the scene unfolds, but just nice little nice little line there. Uh, it had been the two of them uh, after her mother died. Saru reflects on the challenges of his own life. And Burnham notes having uh, similar reactions, and, and indeed the two are having a similar reaction. Emotions are universal, says Detmer. So how is this useful for first contact? Uh, the decision is made to filter up, scan everything, and then get back to discovery. And the different biology, Kelpian, human, but they've been made to feel the same by these hydrocarbons. Uh, so an interesting way to go about it, and we'll certainly theorize that going forward here. Um, Burnham has them reset their environmental filters and finish their scans so that they can move on. Back aboard Discovery, Tarka installs the patch and Book uh, communicates with him to tell them they're good with Ndoye. Reno is speaking to Linus, who we hear uh, over comms and says that the malfunction feels deliberate. What kind of idiot would play a practical joke during an existential threat? Uh, then there's a soft creak in engineering and she finds that idiot uh, beneath a console and she sure hopes she's spoiling a surprise party. Back on the planet, the crew reflects on different ways to communicate with chemicals. Perhaps there's a chemical for not being with someone. Uh, indeed, perhaps the hydrocarbons are pheromones for communication between the 10C. Are they standing at the Rosetta Stone of the 10C? Emotions, of course, can tell a story and give context. More information is needed, uh, but they are at the first step, and they decide to get back. Uh, and indeed, on the shuttle, they are headed back to Discovery soon. Detmer apologizes for uh, connecting with her personal issues. Burnham says that it's okay to not be in control for five minutes. Saru talks about the freeing nature of acknowledging past experiences. Um, indeed, maybe the tendency created the hyperfield to keep out fear and pain. However, they do know, the tendency do, what it's like to lose their home. They are doing it to others now. Perhaps with that knowledge, they will change, says the optimistic Culber. Uh, Saru, perhaps reflecting a certain pessimism uh, of the of the era, ours if not theirs, says that perhaps the 10C do know and simply don't care. In Discovery's ready room, Commander Stanitz says that they had sent dots down to scan for more hydrocarbons. They found 16 unique uh, hydrocarbons, including the two they had already interact with, and they are testing each uh, for the different emotional states. Harai is fascinated, but he adds the Rosetta Stone required uh, two languages to understand the third. However, this is still excellent as a starting point of communication. Nice job. Thumbs up. Pete, there are no small parts, only small actors. And here, the the acting big, just the great moment. 
I, I hope we get lots and lots more of Dr. Harai in, in my future and in your future. Star Trek Harai. Star Trek Harai, let's do it. You know, in the interim, it's here's what he's doing for this story. It's a little bit of levity in, you know, end of the world times uh, that, that, that the episode is taking place uh, under. Uh, with that, Burnham points the ship toward the uh, hyperfield. Tarina invites Saru to a stroll in the holodeck, which Pete, I believe, is a Vulcan hello baby, uh, different from the Vulcan hello. Uh, Stamets tells Burnham that uh, now there really is hope. They really can communicate. We did this together, and we will continue to work together moving forward. Uh, then Pete, a little bit later, alone, Burnham exhales, not knowing the book is at least ostensibly on the other side of the wall watching. I didn't know if that was meant to be literal or more figurative. Uh, book notes to himself that it's good to see Burnham. Uh, he thanks Ndoye for the intel. However, Pete, I must point out that it's at this point the music turns a bit sinister. Even as I was thinking, you know, hope for book, the music tells me maybe not. In Discovery's Lounge, Adira finds Detmer and says hello as she's having a drink here. Hey, those hydrocarbons, boom, big game changer. Uh, how are you doing, though, taking that counsel from Reno? And Detmer says it was a tough but good day. Uh, Adira totally understands if Detmer wants to be uh, all alone. But some company sounds good right now. By the way, she did fly good today. Thanks for that. And Adira wants her to never mention it again. Although uh, Detmer says they could mention it every day for the rest of her life. Um, what I've learned to do in your time, Matt, through our stable wormhole connection on what you call uh, Twitter uh, which is kind of like uh, an AOL message board of the future, is to uh, talk about things on the the shows as they are going on. And uh, Adira's hero worship here of Detmer, as I uh, Twittered, is adorable. Absolutely. It's, it's some nice fan personing, uh, if you will. Uh, we have Culver visit Burnham uh, at the captain's request. She gives him Mavi. It tastes like home. She notes that uh, Culber lingered in the nursery, uh, reflecting on the nice feelings of peace. Culber, uh, of course, has previously been told to take some time for himself, uh, but he's got deeper work to do. He admits to uh, not being okay, and Burnham knows that he's been through a lot. Uh, but empathy is a way to find common ground. Culber wonders if the 10C indeed do know what they've done and simply don't care. How do you connect with a species like that? Burnham hopes that they will find a way. Again, Pete, the music here, a little less confident, making me feel less confident uh, in the interim. Now, is that it for the episode, Pete? A, a kind of a, a, an unspoken to be continued? With Discovery at Warp here, we can see Book's semi-cloaked ship underneath it. Uh, and Book beams into the ship, uh, where just as he exits the hall, he sees uh, Reno there. Nothing like coming home to an unexpected hostage behind a containment field.
Pete, that sound means that we are going to have a tactical analysis of this week's threats and perfect timing from the end of the episode. Let's start by analyzing the threat from Ruan Tarka. Nothing like getting the humanization last week and ending on uh, hostage taking of a beloved character from the crew. Yeah, and I think that in terms of a story purpose, it's exactly what you're saying. We've kind of been certainly coming off of last week's episode where I think there's lots of sympathy for Tarka, although, of course, it not universal. I'm thinking of uh, Fred from the Netherlands, who was still quite anti-Tarka. Pete, his his, um, suspicions born out here um, because Tarka clearly has done a bad, bad thing. Um, And with that, with the story clock counting down and with only two episodes left to the season, there's only so much room for him to be redeemed and not need to pay a story price. Sneaking around discovery, um, you know, spying on conversations, looking to use that for his benefit, you know, while the idea of his sharp sense of humor and the practical jokes with the steam bananas, still the, uh mischief behind that so yeah i I gotta wonder that he doesn't wind up solved as a problem by the end of this season but general Ndoye, matt from the moment we see her in this episode she is not on board with the plan and hence leads her to freelance a deal with book to provide him with intel it will be interesting to see where her loyalties ultimately lie i think there is an argument to be made you know book and tarka on the run but still part of this show so they need to be interacting with someone somehow um they're not gonna have separate you know internet only webisodes or something like that um so i think that i guess what i'm saying is perhaps in retrospect indoye's concern was you know fictionally created to give book someone to play off of here I think there's enough story off ramps in terms of her saying diplomacy first. And, you know, I disagree with this plan. However, I'm not going to stop it. I was outvoted, you know, things of that sort. Um, Where I don't think she's necessarily, you know, a likely candidate for for villainy for whatever her time is left on the show. But uh, time will tell. And then Dr. Harai here, um, in the words of President Rillick, a little blunt early on and then you know taking the personal time in the lounge with the holographic crossword puzzles when really should be helping out with the first contact team ultimately coming around with her urging but you know the the guy off on his own doing really things that he shouldn't needing to be brought back yeah, he is thus far uh, a story presence that I don't completely understand. You know, he's not the guy who's the warp field specialist for when we run out of gas, he will get us home in a new way or something like that. Um, if he's just there for a different perspective um, or, or that sort of thing, if he's there for comedy, so be it. But I feel like there could be the potential... Maybe not of a huge reveal, but I feel like I feel like there's something that does not add up yet. And of course, we have two more episodes to the season where it can add up. 
Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories. Pete, uh, is sneaking book, is he turning bad again? Bad in a story sense, bad in an, uh, an unredeemable sense. I don't think so. That every time they bring up his actions here, he's bringing it back to Michael. That he has faith in Michael. That, you know, oh, did she get back? Uh, he's watching her through the wall there at the end. So as misguided as he is, I think we're meant to believe his heart is still in the right place. Now, Pete, I know there in 1999, the Department of Temporal Investigations has only allowed me to share with you uh, so much of our future. So I will just share this observation with you, with our listeners. Uh, This week on our space shows, we saw Dyson Rings and a de-aged legacy character. Uh, Which star universe is this again? Because we saw Dyson Rings and a de-aged legacy character in another star show like a month or two ago. Huh. Interesting. It it is. Echoes and echoes and so forth. A a bit more squarely focused on this episode, this Detmer-Adira connection. Is it setting up mentorship, friendship, a relationship? Uh, Perhaps even it's just a bit of story business to keep characters in the mix. Like, let's have these two people talk so that they can have more screen time and you know they can have a have a friendship have conversations just in order to give them things to do in the story uh what are your thoughts there well when uh adira began to bring up detmer reno brought up gray and adira immediately quashed that it's not romantic um it's that hero worship it's hey here's the the cool pilot and i love the humanization there Dira was not with the crew when uh Detmer was struggling from the post-traumatic stress disorder that she suffered as a result of that and she's since gotten help and she's good and the thing that Discovery does really well is the humanization uh apart from the representation the idea that is expressed repeatedly in this episode that it's okay to not be okay. We've seen it from Detmer. She's recovered. We've seen it from Saru who now, though he no longer has the threat ganglia and can sense the coming of death as was only believed that uh, the, the Kelpians served a purpose to and only felt fear ever uh, has not felt it in forever. And gets to taste that again and how unpleasant that is and how that reflects on his trauma. And now Culber as really kind of the cleanup crew for everybody else's trauma. Um, you know, Matt has shared with me that you guys are experiencing a pandemic of some sort and understanding that, uh, the first responders need care just as much as the victims. Pete, last theory question for me. Next week, we get to meet the 10C for sure, right? Right? Uh, Definitively, you're going to get the 10C next week, and that's not because I've been further into your future just because of what we're given in this story. What theories do you have? So... The Dyson rings 
around the sun by the gas giant and that they're made from the same uh, substance as the DMA controller. Obviously, that sets this up as the the same species, 10C. Um, we know now with the hydrocarbons and everything that they're moving towards some further understanding. But I feel like those Dyson rings were there to serve a specific purpose and not knowing how to get into the hyperfield and what might be in the hyperfield that it could be some sort of preview. That makes me think kind of on retrospect how, I don't know, how unusual it was for there to be Dyson rings. Yes, I am, of course, as listeners in our time know, I'm, I'm of course, referencing uh, something shown uh, on the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, spoiler alert, Pete, Boba Fett, not dead. Um, but so I think that's where my mind first went kind of, you know, from, from one geek property to the other. Of course, you know, a Dyson ring or a Dyson sphere does suggest a really sophisticated species. So maybe that was the cause or, or as you say, Pete, perhaps it was setting up, uh, it was setting up other things. I always find it interesting when, when you're in the home stretch of a story arc, you know, things need to pay off. And if you realize, oh man, we have not set up the advanced technology of the 10 C beyond the fact that they have an advanced mining thing, you know, quickly you go quick, let's put a Dyson sphere, a Dyson ring in the, in the script. It'll be easy enough to execute as a, as a visual effects thing and so forth. You know, so maybe it's a relative last minute, uh, addition. Again, I don't mean kind of chronologically last minute, but maybe it's, it's added to show something to set up for the last two episodes, or it's the key to the whole thing. Time will tell. Is the 10C doing to others what was done to them? I mean, it appears that what was done to them was natural. So maybe they don't know. I mean, certainly the big tension that, of course, gets repeated multiple times in the last third of the episode is, do they know it? And then you kind of, in my mind, you get into layers upon layers of, well, what's the Star Trek message? Can you change somebody's mind with irrefutable evidence and a desire to be empathetic to one another? Star Trek would tell you yes. Life might, recent life might tell you no. Um, are they going to give us the happy Star Trek ending? Probably. Might we have to pay a price along the way? Uh, I.e., let that be your last battlefield. The n never great to watch, but great, great, great lesson uh, from you know season three of Classic Trek, where sometimes you just can't convince people, and they're gonna destroy each other in nuclear war, which is a pure 1960s concern, and not like today. Um, so I, I don't know. There's all these questions remaining, and I guess Pete, this is the perfect time to have all these questions with two episodes to go. So they've picked up these 16 hydrocarbon compounds and each of them is going to correlate to a different emotional state. So we know fear, we know love, safety, comfort are two of those. Pretty basic. We're going to get 14 other flavors or scents since they're kind of compared to pheromones. So 
this has to be leading to some sort of variation of the close encounters of the third kind uh piano music sequence to communicate they've already raised a number of questions do they communicate verbally so this is going to be the way that it is right that's going to be the way that it ultimately goes when they talk your question makes me think of how close encounters ends which is kind of like and then there's some aliens that you don't really see and the nice man is going to go on their ship and have other adventures which is to say it's an ending but not like an ending ending does discovery go that route that it's like enter the box of light and burnham goes in there and you know comes out and says i've been to the mountaintop i talked with the 10c there is now peace like are, are they so alien that the show can't conceive what they look like? I think that would not be a great cap for the season. I also could see how in script form, it might feel like a really great cap to the season only to discover later on. Oh my goodness. We told not, uh, you know, we have told not shown. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, could this season be taking inspiration from close encounters? Absolutely. But does that come mixed with it? Some story problems, I, I would say possibly as well. With the way that Culber is impacted by what he felt in the nursery, wanting to linger behind, that it was peaceful, experience it a little bit more. Um, and what you mentioned of Close Encounters of the Third Kind and the Richard Dreyfus character going away with them, are we setting up a situation where he and or more characters might remain with them at the end of the season. Well, possibly. And then, you know, there's end of the season, then there's end of the season. Like, again, you want to say, and Cobra will stay here to learn about their ways for the next six months. And then Discovery Season 5 is, having just picked up Dr. Colbert from our friends, the 10C, we now head on to the latest thing. Okay, this is also a show that has not been shy about saying, you know, in order to continue to grow this show, sometimes we need to remove characters that we really, really like um, and not in a sense of you're going to get promoted to somewhere else and then come back. You know, I'm thinking of Saru. They're never going to kill off Saru. They're never going to get rid of Saru. But, you know, he was promoted up and off the ship. And then by the end of his first episode where he was up and off the ship, he's back here to help out as captain first officer, you know, Pete, I hope they're not saying, and we're going to get rid of Culber and Stamets and Adira and, and, and anyone, because I feel like we have the stable, we have a stable cast of characters plus or minus book. We have a stable cast of characters to take us to the end of this series, whenever that may be. How the heck did Tarka take Reno prisoner when she got the drop on him? Pete, it was in that kind of way that you don't need to write about it. It just kind of, he, he, he was so good at the technique that he used that it needs not be filmed and it can just be shown as dun, da, da, da. then the genius Ruan Tarka got the cat into the mouse trap, uh, which is to say they might not have an answer and, uh, you know, they may have written around not knowing what the answer was. 
well, I sure hope maybe a flashback or some kind of line of exposition to explain that, oh, and then you pulled a phaser on me or something like that. Maybe, he had, maybe he had a remote uh, connection to the desktop uh, food synthesizer and all of a sudden it's like shot waves and waves of steaming bananas at her and she was temporarily <laughs> blinded and that's how he got the drop on her. Why the hyperfield? Um, what is the the 10C need that for? I mean, it's been presented as their their protective wall, their protective shell um, to keep out the threats like the threats that got them in the past. Um, I would I would say the show has not presented much more beyond that. Um, much more than beyond it's a story block it's a reason to not go there and and have a flag of friendship and talk to them um but it is also something else in the next two episodes i would hope that they would dig into a bit more versus just then we got to the hyperfield and we sent an emotion signal to them because it was just a story block all along did it cross your mind at all matt with detmer not feeling the uh, hallucinations and the sensations that it could have been her implants that made her different from the other three on the planet's surface. Absolutely. And I, I still have that in my notes when I finally, like maybe it was a, maybe it was an early notion, but when I was like, all right, I'm committing to this as an idea, then literally two sentences later in my notes, it's like, Colbert goes, wait, it's the blue dust. And everybody else goes, yeah, the blue dust. I touched the blue dust. And I touched the, you didn't touch the blue dust. So I think it would have been a really, it would have been a cool use of her quasi perceived, um, you know, it's not quite disability, but this, this thing that makes her different would have also been a plus. If that was something that got thrown around in the writing room, let's follow that to, fru to fruition. She does have this assistive technology to help with a deficiency, albeit the loss of an eye at the, the Battle of Binary Stars. So she is kind of sort of a proxy for, you know, disabled people and assistive technology. And what we're saying is, hey, it's really good that you have your assistive technology to help out when the story needs it. That's less fulfilling than, I think, she's equal to all the others, except she did not, uh, she did not, um, coincidentally didn't didn't touch the the stuff uh and can still can still share things about her past and so on and so forth with that pete let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir pete we start with our twitter poll pete twitter in the future twitter is super useful it's a great way to have a dialogue of ideas and the cream always rises to the top uh in our poll um people could define their thoughts on the episode based on emotion uh, one emotion was fear that got 4.5%. Uh, another emotion was interest that got 13.6%. Appreciation got 27.3%. And then adoration got 54.5%. Some comments as well. JT Adkins, it's at JTA's me, says, I predict the biggest problem will ultimately be Tarka. Prediction, here we go. He also says, Eureka. Uh, just to uh, just rename the 10C to 10 Forward, then they'll just head to Los Angeles and work it out with Guinan. Problem solved. Uh, we next heard from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo in 1983. 
uh, good episode, but I need them to get to the point. A lot of talky-talky in this episode with very little action. Could have been told in 30 minutes. Glad Tarka just kidnapped Reno and didn't hurt her. I already dislike him. That emotion would have moved to hate if he did. Pete, interesting to reflect on Andre's words here. I think when it was announced a couple months ago that uh, the next season of Discovery will be 10 episodes, not 13, or you know, we've had 14, 15, and so forth, I think the initial reaction was like, ooh, that's a downgrade. I have wondered, did the show maybe say, hey, can we only do 10 because... The stories that we create that are, you know, interconnected and well-crafted and character stuff and action stuff and sci-fi stuff, uh, it, it's tough to stretch it out to 13. 10 would be much better. I, I'm, I'm happy for 10. I think you're always going to take quality over quantity. Um, so this is assuming budgets haven't changed and they'll be the same uh, level of attention to detail. So I, I think we can all get on board with that. Next up, we hear from James the Sagacious. That's at Big Killen on Twitter. The show continues to give me what I need. We are centuries beyond all other Trek and beyond the galaxy. It's true frontier. It's a seasonal arc, and I love the format. Reno and Detmer are just gems. Also, best Rosetta themes ever. Uh, best Rosetta themes in sci-fi ever. Uh, next, we hear from Spider Ham Lincoln. That's at Tess LC one three nine. On uh, Pete, I might have to change some of the wording here honestly this episode as a whole did not do it for me love the detmer stuff she is the i'll say stuff uh, i get that this season is a journey literally at times but we're really taking a long time to get there i'm crossing all my fingers and toes for a great big payoff next we hear from jackie wolf that's at jackie wolf on twitter i found myself acutely aware of the need for covid spacing while filming this episode one example is the post-mission meeting with the perfectly spaced delegates. Unavoidable, uh, but this episode seemed so sparse on developments that my attention strayed. Uh, Pete, I chuckle a bit because, you know, as we've discussed before, Tignataro had been uh, had declined more screen time, uh, wanting to to you know preserve her health and so forth. And I, I did chuckle at the end of the episode. Look, there's Tignataro on the other side of that force field in the corner by herself because she's been kidnapped and also because she's socially distanced and, you know, uh, in, in good health, uh, I suppose I can have that chuckle. And that the force field is preventing the virus from getting in. Next, we hear from Rose Ferry. That's at Anna Rose 584. I guess there was no chance for Reno to call 911. <laughs> Well done, Rose. Uh, that's really, that's well done. Target's making me mad. I'm hoping Reno can get to book so he will change his ways. Meanwhile, nobody seems to be panicking over the uh, imminent doom of Earth and Navarre. What the blank? Pete, I think they're panicking in that they know they're all contributing to the best solution that they can contribute to. So uh, while I agree, there's probably, there's probably other people on the ship whose stories are untold that are you know having a feeling overwhelmed by the the imminent doom of earth and navarre i think that's an interesting story that's just not where we need to go for this episode pete last tweet a trio here we hear from make it so that's at kclyle1 on twitter interesting episode pushing the larger story arc great news reno's back bad news reno's kidnapped Assuming that means we will see some of her. 
uh, some more of her, rather. I was hoping to see some 10C babies. Oh, well, maybe next week. Uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln says, maybe next week has been one of this season's big problems for me. And uh, Make It So says, yes, I'd have to agree. So there you go, Pete. Some dialogue there on Twitter. Next up, Pete, we'll go to email, where we hear from Stacy, uh, who had some thoughts about Star Trek Picard that we will share tomorrow. Uh, her discovery thoughts now as she reflects on uh, too many words for Twitter with two Star Trek shows on the same day. So, Pete, her thoughts here for Discovery. I enjoyed this week's episode of Discovery, though I can see why some people are frustrated with the pacing. The element I've liked so much this season, the dealing with emotions, how everyone is handling their trauma, etc., may feel like it's dragging the larger story a bit. But I think these things are important. Culber finally admitting he isn't okay, and Burnham saying of course he isn't. How could he be? And Detmer having her five minutes of not having it together. So happy to see Reno back. She drinks her Roctogeno the way I drink my coffee. Hot as hell. Uh, and Pete, that from uh, Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. To the fantastic geek, I think you call this Facebook, which is... Uh, an evolved version of something you called MySpace uh, in the future, Matt, um, where uh, Rosemary Ferry added about last week's podcast, episode 410, The Galactic Barrier. After listening to the podcast for this episode, I think I was harsh. Will rewatch. Must have been distracted by trying to finish Daredevil by today. I stopped back in the first season, and that was where my focus was so Discovery didn't get my full attention. Forgive me, she uh, says here with the PH. Well, Pete, talk about the multiverse of multiverses here, particularly in a week over on the Marvel side where it's been announced that those former Marvel Netflix shows are actually headed uh, I think genuinely surprisingly to Disney plus as Disney plus rolls out a bit of a, a bit of an age barrier there to make sure the TVMA stuff is meant for MA eyes and so forth. Uh, so there you go. We got the Daredevil, we got the Marvel, got the Star Trek, had some Star Wars references here. See Pete, it really is the best of times. There's no problems here at all. Everything's fine. How are you? Indeed, Pete, the only way that it could be better is if we heard from Fred from the Netherlands who we hear from right now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 11. A good old-fashioned Star Trek's 60s away mission here with the four main characters. You really could replace them by Kirk, Spock, McCoy and Detmer as Sulu. In a weird, unexpected surrounding with a species of unknown ways of communication, etc. Fully fitting in the Star Trek tradition, including being psychologically influenced where there is one away team member that can escape that or is not influenced. How often didn't we see Spock being not influenced by something like that, whereas all the humans are being influenced by it. We're seeing here the deal between Book and uh, Nguye is kind of similar. I I wanted to say mirrored, but it's actually quite similar 
to the situation where they discovered that the DMA, the first DMA, would stay around there for a week and that Burnham went to Tarka and Book to say, okay, we try it on a diplomatic way and if that doesn't succeed, we do it your way. And it's actually quite the same here that Book now says, okay, we have the possibility to destroy it or shut it off. And Nuguye says again, try communicating first, or at least try to make first contact or second contact and communicate with them, which is actually quite a nice turn because she was the one, I think, that wanted to attack the first DMA the most, apart from Tarka and Book. Okay, that will be all for this time. Looking forward to Star Trek Picard. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Interesting words there from the Admiral Pete. Uh, Fred proposing a, a new core four, Burnham, Saru, Culver, and Detmer. Sign me up for that. That is a great group. I think more of Detmer is always going to be welcome. I don't know if I'd put her in the top four currently. I mean, you've got Stamets, you've got Adira, uh yeah i don't know that she's cracked that level of the cast just yet but hey that can always change she's clearly the uh one of the bridge crew um her and awoshikun that have gotten more than everybody else fred uh also signaling us towards a seasonal discussion of diplomacy first then war if needed Pete, an evergreen plan because diplomacy always works, right? So that's a good that's a good plan to have. And I think it's among the best and perhaps the most Star Trekian approach. And Pete, in that far off Star Trek future, uh, of course, in a moneyless society, in the interim, the financial support of those who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek always appreciated particularly to help with storage and bandwidth costs particularly particularly uh in this next multi-month stretch with lots of great content being podcasted star trek star wars marvel and so forth so uh that support always evergreen as well everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door so get over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek today can't contribute this month get over to apple podcasts and you can leave us a rating in seconds a review and a little bit more to any of our 25 very soon to be 26 podcast feeds Pete, let's keep the conversation going for at least as long as you are here uh, talking to us in your future. How can people be in touch with you on the Twitter that you discovered later you had created? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,393 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. 
For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be podcasting Star Trek Picard tomorrow. Uh, and thank you to the couple of people who reached out uh, in the last week, making us aware of a, uh, a minor technical difficulty that hopefully we have completely ironed out on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. If you're here just for Discovery, we'll see you next Saturday. Reminder of Discovery uh, moving to and staying with the Star Trek Saturday uh, experience for the rest of this season. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. A little more clarity next time.